Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How you all doing? Hope you guys are starting off your week feeling good, doing well. we got a great show planned for you. Uh, we'll be doing some DMs later. So, of course, as always, if you got a DM for us, slide on into the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Love to hear from you. Whatever you're wondering about or wanting to ask, we got your back. Uh, but we're going to talk about some important things. One of them being something that yet again impacted me heavily. So I love sharing those things. I was talking before this was, I think last week or the week before I was talking about our vision and how a lot of us are now staring at screens for long periods of time, whether it's our laptop, our phone and the TV, it's a lot, a lot of screen time on our eyes. So we're talking about ways to really keep our eyes healthy, you know, um, some exercises, taking breaks, really fascinating stuff. So if you want to learn more about that. You want to go to wearechannelq.com, scroll down, look for my little face, love line, click on it, and uh, you can find that show. But um, I wanted to, oh, yes, sorry. My point was, <laughs> we're going to talk later about how us spending too much time in bed is also emotionally and physically bad for us. And I'm seeing a lot of people do that. They wake up, kind of lay around in bed for a while, uh, maybe watch the news in bed, get some work done in bed, and they're realizing they're spending a lot of time in bed. And we're going to talk about why that's a problem. And uh, a little bit of a tip, it has to do with your posture and the way you are forced to sit when you're doing work and being in bed that long. Um, beds are for sleeping and for sex. Remember that. Um, okay, however... Um, I wanted to open the show though, talking about something really important and it's something I'm seeing more and more of. And I want to just kind of call it out my listeners. You know, if we are not the ones willing to start to do some of this work, I don't know who is. I know my fan base are people that have care, compassion. They want to transform the world. Um, cyberbullying. We have to talk about it. I want to talk more about it. It's, it's something that I see happen to everyone. And I even notice it in big and small forms on my own social media. So maybe I'll start from a personal perspective. You know, some individuals like myself are using social media as a way to educate, uh, to inform, to transform, to help people build community, to normalize. And it's really sad and interesting because um, I always have curiosity about people's you know choices and behavior to see how people deal with their dysregulation. You know, if you're if you're following someone and they're posting things that you don't like or that make you uncomfortable, just unfollow. You don't need to attack. Um, and if someone that you do enjoy following posts something that makes you uncomfortable 
sit with yourself. Ask yourself, what is this? What am I learning or what am I uncomfortable about? Sit and, and process before you take to the keyboard and fire off some really hateful attacking things. Because I, I, I see people doing it as a result of them not agreeing or liking what is said. Now again, I will always say this over and over, I have to provide every caveat because you all are really good at creating, you know, talking about the exceptions. If there's an injustice, yes lovingly call the person in, reach out to them, send them a DM, maybe make a comment saying, hey, listen, this is problematic or hurtful and here's why. Notice the languaging and the tone I'm using. Yeah, be angry, be upset, but we don't name call, we don't attack, that's bullying and that's not gonna get your message across. Across, um, Lovingly unpack that. However, if it's not an injustice, keep your mouth shut. You don't need to post argumentative, hateful comments because you don't agree. If you want to start an interesting, adult-regulated debate, that could be one thing, yes. If you, if you engage the work and you say, hey, I don't agree with that, here's why. That's fine. But you don't need to name, call, or attack. Unfollow, keep scrolling, or just recognize, you know what, that post wasn't for me. And I'm seeing that come up in a lot of people's work. Um, because there's a lot of people doing work out there that's very triggering. Um, I'm going to be talking at some point about Dr. Carl Hart, who does, he's a neurologist and neuroscientist. I think he's at Columbia. And his new book, he talks about himself being an adult drug user. He talks about how most people that use drugs actually do not have an addiction and will not become an addict. Um, about 70% of people that use drugs have no problem with it. It's actually a small percentage of people that use. And he very powerfully talks about the fact that after a long day, he himself uses some heavy drugs as an adult without addiction and then goes and teaches at Columbia University. That's powerful for a lot of people. A lot of people need to be shown that just because you're an adult and you make adult decisions about some things in your life that are controversial, that that doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong or bad about you. My point is not on the topic, and I will unpack that at some point because we need to challenge some of the problematic misinformation out there about addiction. It's not a disease. And once an addict, not always an addict. And we'll get into that research. But my larger point is, it's the way people are responding to him. I've seen people respond that way to me. I see people constantly responding aggressively to people that are doing body positivity work. If you don't like what you're hearing, keep scrolling, especially when it's not about you. If you're on someone's page and they are fat identified or larger bodied and they're talking about how all bodies can be healthy and you are smaller bodied, the post is not for you. No one needs to hear your thoughts on this person trying to dismantle problematic norms and systems in our culture, right? And we have to get more regulated. If something makes you uncomfortable, it says everything about you. And the way to deal with that is not to lash out at the poster. You don't need to make them agree with you. You don't need to ch them to change their mission. Our responses and our reactions and our emotions are a mirror being held up so we can learn more about ourselves. What is this saying about me? Is this showing me where my work is? Is this a wound that I need to heal? But we need to get more thoughtful before we vomit undigested, unworked through thoughts, emotions, and triggers on other people, especially people who are trying to do meaningful, important work. And it is a form of cyberbullying, and it is a form of emotional abuse. And, and human beings, myself included, we feel the impact, and it makes us sometimes not even want to continue to post or do the work. So I'm just asking everyone to be loving and thoughtful about the impact you're having when you comment or post on someone's posts. And if it's not for you or about you, keep scrolling. If it's an injustice, yes, call them in, point it out, talk it through. But otherwise, let the work remain because it's meaningful for someone else. Not everything is for everyone and that's okay, right? We need more love, care, and compassion. Um, all right, that is that. Uh, coming up though, 
We've got some, we got lots to talk about tonight. We're going to come back and talk about happiness and some of the things and perspectives in our lives that undo that. I know we're focusing a lot on it. You know why? Because the rising rates of anxiety and depression that are happening as a result of the pandemic is why. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about happiness. And I've been trying to focus at least a segment or two every week on this because everyone right now is struggling um, to some degree, some, you know, more than others with depression and anxiety uh, due to the multitude of things that are going on in our world. And this is something that, you know, again, happens for a lot of individuals, maybe more consistently than they'd like. But right now, uh, you know, financial insecurity, employment insecurity, housing issues, health, there's a lot happening. Uh, isolation, all sorts of stuff. And so people, we're now, now's the time to be talking about how can we readjust our perspectives and thinking in service of more mental health and move forward better in the world. Now, before we get into some of the common things that um, get in the way of our happiness, essentially rob us of our happiness, just remember that the overarching statement will always be the work for us as human beings is contentment. We need to work on being more content with what is and with what we have. Again, I'm not talking about injustices or oppression. I'm talking about consumerism and materialism. We don't need to purchase any new things. We don't need the new fall fashion line. We don't need to get the new cool hip gadget. We think all these things are gonna make us happy and they give us short bursts of joy. Joy are these short bursts and that is worthwhile. We're allowed to lead a life in pursuit of pleasure and joy. In fact, I advocate for it. In fact, I've tried to center my life in it. When I'm asked to participate or do something work-wise, social-wise, my first thought is will that bring me joy and happiness? And if not, I don't do it. I'm not in it for the money. I'm not. And I know that that's a privileged position and it's okay if you are in it for the money. The bigger point is the studies show over and over contentment is what actually leads to long-term happiness. Contentment and living a life where your time, energy, and focus is in the pursuit of things that give you purpose and meaning. And our job, mental health-wise and as humans, is to do the best we can. How can we best orient our time and energies educationally, employment-wise around things that give us purpose and meaning and working on just being content? not needing more because we live in a culture of more, faster, harder, and we think that that's what makes things better. But that's capitalism, always pushing. You need to buy more, you need to buy new, you need to upgrade, you need to optimize. No, you don't. We need to actually reel back, slow down, get quieter, sit with what is. I've been practicing that for a year, contentment. I leave notes around my home reminding me to seek contentment. How can I be okay with what is, not needing more or bigger or faster, right? And that also comes up in relationships and sex, and we'll talk about that again. We always do. But contentment is what we need, and that's what we're trying to seek. So what are some of the perspectives that we misunderstand and get in the way of pursuing happiness? Because it's about creating the conditions for that to occur. So first one is uh, conformity. We as humans love conformity. We want to do what everyone else is doing and we want to do what we think we need to do. We talk about that all the time in terms of relationships. People think that they need to get married and they are raised with this big dream of family and marriage and monogamy and the white dress and all these factors. And we, we forget what we're doing. And there's this famous um, Eastern quote, don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon with the moon itself. And we, we go through these processes, forgetting that that's not what it's actually about. The goal is love, care, trust, and commitment. And none of these things that we spend our time and money and energy so obsessed with promise that or even 
are even often not even related to that. I, I watch these shows about these weddings and people just being so dramatic and emotional over it being the way their dream and it being perfect. And it's like, you're missing the moon. You're, you're hung up on the hand pointing at the moon. You're missing the whole point of all of this. So much to a point where you're even miserable on that day. I see that with people's birthdays and their holidays and their vacations. And it's like, just be content with where we are. Stop focusing on what we don't have. You know, joy and happiness is about the perspective. If you want to bring misery into this, feel free, but this is what it is. How can we find contentment within the current context? But we don't need to go along with the norms and the values of everyone else. It's called the crowd mentality. And that leads to a lot of decreased joy and pleasure and depression and anxiety. Also, that ties into the people-pleasing. I work with so many people that are so focused on people-pleasing. They're trying to make everyone else around them happy. And they're so distanced from the core of who they are and what's meaningful to them. And I'll say, but what about you? What makes you happy? What do you want? Not what, is your par- not what your parents want or need from you. Not what are your friends. Not what your colleagues. Not what your employer needs from you. Not what your, your romance partners. What do you want and need? Bringing you back to yourself. We live in a world that's so externally, outwardly focused that we're always thinking again in this conformist and people-pleasing mindset. What will they think, right? We're so hung up on this concept that I call the imaginary audience, as though there's people that are an audience and witnessing your life with all this commentary, and maybe in some worlds there are, but we need to step outside of that and say, I don't need to make anyone happy. What do I want or need? And that will often mean not going in the route of what is conformist or what is following the crowd. In fact, mental health is about authenticity. And I say that all the time, even with dating. Dating's about being known, not being liked. Trying to be liked is about people pleasing. I'm trying to people please my date, this person I don't even know. But I think my goal is to make them happy and to create the perfect date for them versus who am I? What's right for me? And so that robs us of our happiness, getting hung up in the dream, the American dream. That was given to you. That's not even yours. You were socialized to absorb and internalize the American dream. That is not even yours. What is yours? I had to figure out mine. I will never forget. I think I've shared this before. When I was um, younger, I was in, when I got my first tattoo, I was like 16 or 17. And my doctor said, you'll regret this. Really? I built an entire career on it. I built a media career on it. Being authentic, letting my tattoos be seen, being a radical, being a male feminist all of these different things. And that's where the work lies. And I work with my clients and my practice on that. How can we be our most true selves away from people pleasing, away from conformity? That makes us miserable. That has us thinking we need to lose weight, have our bodies looking a certain way. We have to dress a certain way. None of that's real. None of that's real. All right, when we come back, we're going to continue talking about how do we really build happiness in our lives. And the key term you're going to keep learning is content, content with who we honestly are and content with what we have. All right, uh, question of the night up on our Loveland IG page in the stories. Again, we're not doing that every night, um, but we will be doing that. Uh, and uh, getting in them DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about happiness. And again, everyone thinks it's about a vision. And the vision is so externalized and it's usually rooted in what we have consumerism, materialism. I'll tell you, for two decades, working with some of the world's most accomplished, famous, successful, wealthy people, oh, we hear this all the time, but the struggles are the same because the more money and things you have, it just makes your life more complex, but it doesn't necessarily bring happiness. 
um, we'll talk about this, but there's studies that show the short-term gains that the new acquiring of things provides, but that it always decreases and we go back to our baseline, right? So here we are. What helps us stay away from true happiness is chasing money, wealth, and finances. And it hurts my soul when I see these IG ads popping up about people wearing these like fancy watches and suits and in front of their fancy car. And I'm like, that's not happiness actually. And to have your happiness dependent upon something fleeting like finances or objects is what leads to deeper depression because you're like, this is what's making me happy. And this is what helped me build the world. I, the life I have, I better keep this and not all of that is sustainable. And that's not the pursuit of happiness. That's actually the opposite. We want to move away from that. We don't need to be purchasing. We don't need to be buying it. And studies show it over and over again that once our basic needs are met, right? Because we do need housing and we do need healthcare and we do need food, right? Once it's met, money starts to add very little to overall happiness. It's true. There's a, literally a formula. Go research and sit with the, it, it's stunning stuff about the length of time. And they did it on lottery winners. You would think they've won millions. Their life must have gotten phenomenal. It shows that it's about a nine month gain. And then like everything else, it decreases back to our baseline. And that's why you will never read a book on the psychology of happiness that is tied to the acquisition of things. That's just not what it is. And then we move into entertainment and distractions. And the funny thing about that is, Mental health does require just some level of dissociation and distraction, some suspension of reality. We don't want to always be living fully in the moment, right? And there's a, there's a piece of that. But again, if we're building a life that has worth and value to us, then we're not going to need to constantly step outside or distract. And so if you're spending a lot of time trying to get away from your life, again, that brings you back to the core tenet, which is contentment and building a life of purpose and meaning. And that's a sign that we need to do more of that. Fighting for recognition, and that's the final one, the final thing that we tend to tie in. We think the more fame we get, the more we, the more of a social media following we build, that we are going to be happier. It provides nothing. I can tell you that as I was slowly building a social media following from some of my media work, it increased no level of happiness or change in my life. So it brings us back to, you know, we talked about this once, I think this was probably like a year ago, but it's called positive psychology and it's, um, a really interesting form of psychology that got off the ground and it was really rooted in instead of looking at pathology and disorder, let's focus on building into patients' lives more positivity and happiness. Uh, does it skew a little toxic positivity? Eh, a little bit. But what I thought was really meaningful is it poured out three things that the happiest people had and they assessed them. And they had three things. Uh, first was a life rooted in purpose and meaning where whatever they went and did with their time, they walked away thinking, I did something meaningful and I utilized the skills that are most important to me, right? Uh, they call them the signature skills, whatever you value. If it's intellect, it was utilizing intellect. If it's athleticism, it was utilizing athleticism. If it's more arts and creativity, it was utilizing that. So try to build your life and your career around the signature skills that you prefer to use and value within yourself the most. That, when you utilize them, you walk away going, I feel like I did something. That's the caveat. When utilizing them, you have to feel like it did something meaningful. But the other two pieces that they had were relationships 
And that meant of all kinds. They just had other people in their lives. And I always advocate for that. The number one thing in any mental health struggle is usually somehow relationally tied, even if it's just a negative impact on relationships. So it's about building really healthy, close, intimate, robust relationships, which a lot of us don't have. I work with a lot of people where their relationships are very topical and superficial. They're not able to be very vulnerable and transparent. So start to try to create and build that into the relationships you have or find people that are wanting and seeking that. And the third thing that they have was some form of spirituality. And that is so often left out of these discussions and left out of psychology because I do believe a lot of people still think it's a little too closely tied to religion. Um, It's also a little too woo-woo for people. And sadly, the field of psychology, like a lot of fields of science, don't value anything that's not quantifiable. And they don't trust anything that can't be experienced with the senses or, or quantified, as I said, or objectified or weighed or measured. And that's sad because the most important things in life aren't quantifiable. They're experience, they're experiential, things like love. You can't measure love. It's an internal experience that's different for everyone. You can't measure chemistry and attraction. You can't measure trust and safety, emotional safety. And I don't want us to be able to. And I'm grossed out by people that are trying to measure those things. There's no need for it. It's qualitative. You know it when you feel it. And it's explained in philosophy and poetry. It's not supposed to be broken down into mathematical numbers. That is, that is the flaw in some of the scientific pursuit of things. And we think that if science isn't brought in, that it isn't a legitimate thing. And so spirituality is often missing from the conversation, but it's a powerful indicator for happiness. And it's something we all should be working on, even if your spirituality is just tied to your ethics. You know, my feminism is my spirituality. My veganism is my spirituality. My pursuit of compassion and healing is my spirituality. Always operating within it, but we all need some tie to that. All right, y'all, coming up next, I'm gonna slide into the MGMs, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back, and uh, now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, I feel like my boyfriend doesn't care if I orgasm or not. After we have sex, uh, I'll perform oral, and sometimes he is too tired, excuse me, to focus on me. I'm not sure if it's a red flag or if I can do anything to change that. Oh, my gosh. Wow, listen to the excuse you make for him. I wonder if sometimes he just forgets what should I do? Oh, bless. There's so much in this. So much in this. We can all learn a lot from this. A couple things. Uh, It sounds like there's two people there. That means both people's needs have a right to get met. Let me remind everyone listening. We've, well, let me start this way. Uh, When we watch porn, often it's the male partner who finishes and we don't focus on the female partner in hetero porn. And that is one of the unfortunate places where people get sex education because we have horrible sex education in our culture. So I do want to take a moment to just talk about the fact that the kind of porn we watch does reinforce and educate what we expect and how we think sex should look. And people might say, well, I know it's not exactly, but then I hear them literally after saying that they know better, not do better. And we want to be very thoughtful about the kind of porn we watch. I always recommend watching feminist body positive porn. And what that means is porn that also focuses and acknowledges on the partner, the other, the other's experience, the other's pleasure. Feminist body positive porn shows a wealth of different kinds of bodies, which I think is important. Watching standard traditional porn, gay or straight, usually only shows one type of body. 
And that makes our eroticism really tied to that. It makes our expectation for everyone to look like that. The bulk of us don't. There's a reason why those people do the jobs they do. The wider world doesn't look like that. And the wider world does want to be accommodated. <clears throat> Feminist body positive porn, again, shows a diverse set of bodies. It also focuses on everyone's pleasure. And it acknowledges that sex is more than just penetration, which is true. It's important for us to all see that. So I always recommend that, number one. Be thoughtful about what you're watching because you're reinforcing that. Second, all good partners focus on themselves, but they're also aware that there's another person in the room as well. So while I say, yes, we're all responsible for our orgasm, and I'll get to what that means in a minute, being an empathetic, good sex partner is acknowledging that there's someone else there and taking into account what their experience is. And no, very few people are interested in not ever having themselves orgasm or get off. So ask yourself, do I finish and then I'm done? If so, I'm not being very kind, I'm not showing I care about this person, and I'm also not being a good sex partner. So that that's that. Now, for me saying that we are all responsible for our orgasm, yes, you need to ask for what you want and you need to speak up because either A, your partner doesn't know, or B, you've communicated through your silence that I'm cool with what's going on. And so they continue on with that. A lot of people never check in or talk about how they're feeling around sex. So you have to say, hey, honey, listen, next time we have sex, I wanna make sure I get off. You can even ask for sex to start with you getting off. Get off first. But we have to tell our partners what we need, period. Whether we're talking about sex or not, I'm not a fan of mind reading. I don't like the idea of they should know dot, dot, dot. No, they shouldn't. They shouldn't know anything. They only know what they've been experienced what they've experienced thus far, and they've only know what you've allowed and reinforced. And so it falls on both of you. And if you're in a relationship where you don't feel comfortable speaking up saying, hey, I don't get to orgasm, can we start with me? Or during sex saying, hey, now it's my turn, then you're not in a healthy relationship. And I would start on building in that confidence and that transparency. Because if you can't talk about sex, often you can't talk about other difficult but important conversations and topics. And so start by doing that with the sex, right? But Yes, you need to tell your partner. And I want to remind everyone, don't set sex up so that people have to tell you that. Go into it recognizing that just like if you go to a restaurant and you order a meal, let's not say nothing if we see our partner sitting there not eating. A, a kind person would say, hey, are you not hungry? Is something wrong? Do you want me to order something for you? What's going on? Sex is the same way. So if you're in a relationship and you're not getting your partner off, I want you to ask them, yes, you want to get off? Or I want you to just focus on that because that is usually a blind spot and it's gendered. It's usually the female that's feeling left out. So, you know, straight guys step up and do better, right? All right, DMs come from our Loveland IG page. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in there. Coming up next, we're gonna talk about the dangers of working from the bed. Yes, this is something I learned a little bit about, so stick around, it's an important topic. And then we're gonna talk about ways to build more intimacy, but um, the bed topic's important because a lot of us spend our day going from the bed to the couch and then back to the bed. <laughs> All right, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, as promised, we're going to talk about how it is bad and damaging. Experts warn against working from bed. Yes, 
get out of bed. We say this again. We were saying this at the beginning of the pandemic. Every single day, move your body in some form. It doesn't have to be exercise. Dance, walk, hike, whatever it is. Stretch, yoga, Pilates, weightlifting. I don't care. Every day, move your body. Also, every day, get outside and get some fresh air and sunlight. Even if it's cold, go for a walk. We need to be reminded that the world is out there. But some people right now are going to bed, waking up, staying in bed, working from bed, going and maybe baking breakfast, going back to eat it in bed, watching movies in bed, and then going to sleep and sleeping in bed. It is too much. Our, our, we need, quote unquote, office time, recreation time. Go sit at a table. I'm telling people psychologically, space things out. I eat over here. I do work over here. That is where I sleep. We have to separate it out. Because again, experts are saying that you're setting yourself up for some permanent physical and possibly emotional damage. Um, and these things that they're saying aren't apparent at first. And that's the trick is you're like, well, I feel fine. My body feels fine. And they're saying yes, because it's going to show up longer down the road. Um, because here's why slumping on a soft surface like a bed can strain the neck, the back and the hips and may cause pain to flare up in the months or years to come. Sit with it. That's a very awkward looking position when you look at someone slumped in bed. Like it doesn't even look healthy or supportive. It looks very depressed and collapsed. And there is something about emotions tied to body language. When people want to feel happy or strong, we stand up and we, we bring our shoulders back. I work with clients doing that. If we want to feel sad or depressed, we naturally start to collapse and drop our head. That's a position of shame and sadness. And when, if we want to work through that, we pull our body back up and out. And so it's all in there. Slumping on the, it strains, it strains everything. So we want to move away from that, right? It's not optimal. Um, switch to a table and supportive chair. It will hold you up. It will also make you feel more grounded. It's a very anchoring position to be sitting in a chair with our back straight, our head up and our feet touching the ground. It's anchoring. It builds confidence. Excuse me, my sinuses. And so remember that. Check in on your body language and body posture. What is my posture tied to and communicating? Because sometimes if you're feeling flat or depressed and yet nothing depressing is happen, happening, we can change our mood by holding our body up and out. Someone wants to live with more confidence but isn't feeling confident, practice standing upright with your head up and again, your shoulders back. It is very much tied. We used to look more about at somatics and psychology. We've moved away from that, but that's in there and they work on uh, emotions connected to the body. So get a table and get a chair. And that's what I'm telling people. Do not get too comfortable just couch to bed and then bed back to couch. We need to move our bodies. And we also, again, like the study showing, is work with our posture and our positioning. I know I love stuff like this because they're things that we don't always consider. All right. So important stuff. I like bringing in some of the physical. <clears throat> um, all right. So now we're going to shift gears. Talking about uh, the power of complaining, as in uh, don't do it, as in uh, it's not good for us. Now, again, as always, caveat is if there's an unjust and something unjust, something rooted in violence or oppression, call it out, speak up, stand up, get loud, handle it. But outside of that, if we're disappointed, frustrated, or let down, we do want to work on checking in on how much are we complaining. Some people do have a depressed personality style where they tend to operate and see everything through that lens. But these things are workable. We have to bring consciousness to them. What kind of lens do I see the world through? And do, does that work for me? Do I want to change or shift that? So again, complaining can first off be a, a, something 
that can help us create change. It can help us look around and address what needs to be changed in our lives. But it can also be a perspective that we just apply to everything. Because often, while we have something to complain about, we're missing out on looking to the other side, which is just rooted in so much joy and pleasure. And we get to decide how we want that day to go. We get, we have some control over how our weekends are gonna go. Again, we're stepping outside of problematic you know, systems and institutions. I'm just talking about being in the moment, in an experience. Um, so complaining, and some people love complaining. And, and again, sometimes it does create change. Sometimes it is important to bring up a, a frustration with someone, but it also can lead to carrying around a consistent negative attitude because we are, some of us move through the world focused on what's wrong. And we're always looking and assessing for what's wrong. We're always thinking what could be wrong. Never, never instead trying to challenge that saying what's working and feels right because that our mood will be uh, uh, congruent with that. So I tell people that when you're in a moment where you're feeling as though you have to be present with something, but you're finding all the complaints, also take time to look for what is right and what's working. Because focusing on the negative keeps us, again, very familiar and patterned with focusing on the negative, right? But it doesn't ever let us get to joy. And everything, everything will always have positive and negative component. Any space you walk into, I'm thinking right now of the coffee shop I was at earlier. There's so many things I can notice that could bring me joy and pleasure. I'm out of the house, I'm outside, I'm in the sun, I have time to myself, or the negative. It's crowded, it's loud, I'm feeling hot. You decide what you focus on. And we do wanna be aware of some of the choices we make around our mood, right? Because we do have control over some of that. It's good to be aware of our perspective. We're going to take a break. When we come back, though, we're going to keep talking about how to work with complaining and also, more importantly, how to kind of stop it. It's not going to be great for our mental health. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're looking at complaining because, again, Anything that has an injustice, we want to handle it. But when we're dealing with a letdown, a disappointment, we want to work on letting that go. But also bigger than that, we want to be aware of the attitude or the lens through which we tend to assess and see everything, right? Because often spaces are neutral and we can look at, focus on, and call out the things that are bad and wrong, or we can focus and call out the things that are good and positive. And that again, of course, is going to impact our mood and we want to have a consciousness. What kind of lens do I move through the world with? When I walk into a party, when I go to an event, when I go to work, when I go to a coffee shop, am I always scanning for what's wrong and bad and, and negative? Or am I living in, well, what here can I find that is positive or can bring me joy? We want to be aware of that. Some people have a very negative, pessimistic, or you know, critical lens through which they do everything. That will impact everything, your mood, but also will impact the social world around you. That's hard for people to be around, right? And there's honesty when it's necessary, but it's also honest to sometimes recognize what's going well or to neutralize that, right? Because again, our perspective and our lens impacts those around us. And I'll say this over and over, we wanna be thoughtful and aware of how we impact those around us. But also being aware that complaining doesn't change the circumstance. It doesn't at all. And again, there's a difference between injustices and social justice work. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about general levels of complaining. It doesn't change anything. It just makes the experience bad and negative. For instance, if you live in a state where it snows a lot, you can complain about the snow and live in the negativity that comes with that complaint and only focusing on that. Or, and again, that does not remove the snow, that complaining, or you sit with the benefits and you find the joy in it. What is good about the snow? Or at least neutralize it. But complaining is not gonna remove the snow. And I had to say that to a family member a long time ago. 
um, you are focusing on that and feeling that and you've decided that that's what that is, but there's also some joy to it. What are the pleasurable beneficial things that that also allows and brings with it and creates because that negativity changes nothing. And again, it, it illegitimizes or disqualifies or obscures some of the benefits, which actually do always exist. I've been trying to identify that for myself in some different areas of my life. Right. Um, because it's also this like victim perspective, right? It's as though we walk around victimized by, by the whole world. Right. So focus on trying to bring more consciousness to that. What kind of lens do I have? And, and can I, instead of pointing out all the negatives and complaining, start to find the things that are good or that are working for me. Also understanding that the world's flawed and imperfect. Perfect doesn't exist and it doesn't need to, right? Not everything's trying to be the most ideal situation. And understand the difference between just complaining, which doesn't change much, right? And helpful, useful acknowledgement or critique. Is it productive or beneficial what you're, thought, what you're thinking, saying, or posting? We talked about that earlier. Just vomiting thoughts all over a social media post or at a converse, or at a party or whatever it is, that's not necessarily helpful. So I love that framework. Is what I'm about to say or post helpful? Or am I just being mean, right? Being aware of the impact you're having on those around you. If you're at someone's birthday party or an event or a dinner, no one, no one wants it to be turned negative by hearing you complaining. Again, if you have a helpful critique, which could create change and be helpful to the night or the people around you, bring it forward. But if not, keep it quiet, keep it to yourself, right? Also, don't lead with these negative things. Some people, that's the first thing they start with. I had a friend where every time we'd get on the phone and I'd say, how are you? They inherently would immediately start with the negative. Acknowledge if you do that, start leading with some of the positive because there was always positive things happening too. It's not a denial of what's happening, but it was a pattern. They always went asked how things were focused immediately on the negative. And I know that we are neurologically wired that way. That is protective. That's evolutionarily built into us, but we can also get more familiar trying to call out and acknowledge and notice the positives. It's also a trait and tool for healthy relationships and marriages and families. Don't always be noticing what's going wrong or what your partner's doing that's bad. Start to try to notice what they're doing right and build that up. Push out the bad with some of the good, right? Share some of the positive things that you've noticed or you felt. But don't just always lead with criticism. That will ostracize and isolate, you know? Start to try to practice that. Can I start conversations sharing the good things that are going on? Can I start to notice and call out the things that I'm thankful for in the people that are in my life? Can I enter a space and look for the things that make me happy or are meaningful or are going to feel good while I'm here versus again, always leading with the negative because we can always find something bad, broken that we want to change. That's easy. <clears throat> the hard work is saying what, of, what, what here is of value again trying to take more control of the lens through which we see the world and also a little more control over the kind of world that we are a part of co-creating because it's very hard and toxic to be in friendships or romantic relationships with people that aren't able to tap in to the other things happening in the world. I work with those couples all the time and the partners are struggling, you know, and the individual themselves are struggling because we're so unaware of ourselves sometimes. And our friends might call it out saying you're so negative. That kind of statement isn't really generally helpful either. And that's why these topics, I want us to start by examining ourselves first. What's our relationship with these things? Is everything you're posting on social media always mean, negative, and, and adversarial? Think about that on Facebook or IG. Do you ever post something saying, thank you for sharing this? Or wow, you look so happy, write a great, what a great pick. Or are you only the person that takes the time to write a negative review? 
Do you ever reach out on a review and say something positive about the product or the book? I mean, really notice that. What are you creating in the world? What's your legacy? Is it uplifting and empowering or are you always just tearing down? We talked about in the first segment of tonight's show. Stop with the bullying. Stop with the negativity. Process and work through and learn about yourself. You know, again, if there's something helpful in the critique, share it. But are you just complaining and being negative? You know, that crankiness isn't good for you or, or, or anyone else to be around. It's also maybe a sign we need to change the, the world we're in. Move our bodies more. Change our social networks. Don't be those friends that sit around and only talk about ourselves poorly or the others poorly. Some people, that's our whole social network, mocking other people, making fun of people. That is reinforcing the wrong thing. Be the kind of people that are the opposite. Be those friends that are like a solid, healthy network that supports everyone, you know? All right, y'all. We got to go. We got to take a break. We'll be back. Uh, you want to check out past episodes of Loveline? You can always do so by going to wearechannelq.com and DMs. They come from our Loveline IG page. If you got one for us, slide on in there. We'll be closing out the show with some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Uh, before I get into anything, quick reminder. How's your self-care going today? How's your self-care last week? Every day, some form, remember every day. That could include some act of joy and pleasure, which every single day we should build in, whatever that means for you. Also an additional form of rest. Yes, we deserve more rest than just the sleep we get at night. Um, and also tons of self-care. Sometimes you wrap it all up in a one, but sometimes you do all three, but every single day, I'm always tracking it. Have I done something that makes me smile? Maybe it's me just getting some you know, non-dairy ice cream. Um, have I rested? Have I just maybe laid on the couch zoning out to television or turning everything off and just listening to music for a while? And uh, what am I doing for self-care? Am I maybe saying no to something, setting some boundaries, uh, clearing out my weekend so I can sleep in? Whatever it is, but continue to make sure you do it. So I put a post on my social media and um, I want to kind of unpack it a little bit because it's got some interesting responses. As always, a lot of the more interesting ones come in the uh, DMs, but it's basically talking about how our American culture, and we've seen this with people's responses to the pandemic where everyone's just worried about themselves and they're like, ah, I feel fine. I don't think I'm at risk. And so I'll just run around and not wear a mask or travel. It's, we have an intimacy disorder in our culture and it's toxic individualism where we really only worry about ourselves. And yes, we still shame and pathologize what are healthy expressions of closeness, dependency, and connection, right? And our, the biggest sign of mental health is your ability to be in long-term healthy relationships. And so that's a good mental health assessment is what's the quality of your relationships? Do you have long-term relationships or do they all end? Do they all end problematically, whether romantic or socially, right? What's the quality? Is there a lot of conflict, right? Because again, mental health is our ability to build and maintain close, healthy, intimate relationships. But we shame closeness and dependency. We really think that people do things on their own and should be able to stand on their own. Not only don't we, we can't. <laughs> we are only healthy in relationship to those around us. Not just because our brain is a social organ, not just because our nervous system is impacted by those around us, which frustrates me when people say things like, someone can't make you feel a certain way. Yes, they can. We have mirror neurons and empathy and our nervous systems are impacted by those around us and the energy they bring in. Other people's anxiety will make us anxious. That's part of the human condition. We don't need to push against that. We need to honor that. That's why we also talk about only having healthy people around us, but it's okay to need support. It's okay to reach out to individuals. And it's also gendered. People that are male, male-identified are often shamed for being emotional. We rip children away at a very young age from their parents or from their mother saying, oh, to be a real man, you can't be that close to your mom. Yes, you can. We need to be with our parents longer. I, I, it hurts my heart when I see parents shoving the child away and the child's not ready. 
we should be following the natural needs at ebb and flow of the child. It's okay for the child to want to be that close to their parents, even for the duration of their life. There's no right level of separation. We are intermingled, interdependent individuals. We also ignore our connection to the environment, and that's for another day, but we are dependent. We talk about things like self-esteem. It's an inside job. No, it's not. We have relational esteem. Our self-esteem is 100% the impact and result of the worth and value that other people have reflected back to us. We know that from a trauma-informed perspective, that if you're raised in environments where you are not treated with care and respect, you will not have self-worth and esteem. And part of self-worth is relational worth, building relationships that reflect back. You have worth, you have value, I respect you. And that's why if you're feeling not a lot of self-esteem, look at the messages the people around you are giving you. That is a huge part of it. That's not the only part of it, but that's the bulk of it, 100%. That's why part of healing, ostracism and trauma is community building, mandatory, especially if you're part of a minority or marginalized or exploited identity or population. We need to see ourselves on television, have our family members and loved ones tell us that we're beautiful, our large body, our small body, our hairy body, our black body our queer body, our disabled body. That's right, our short body. We need to have a world that reflects back that there's desirability, worth, and beauty in all of that. But we don't. We have a monolithic idea as to how people should try to look. And that's what creates eating disorders, right? Which we're gonna talk about on Thursday. We're gonna be taking the whole segment, the whole show almost, talking about eating disorders. It's Eating Disorder Awareness Month. But again, remember, we need other people for our mental health and for our sense of worth. So pay attention to that, allow that, seek that. We do not do as well. We're not as healthy in isolation and separation. But yet we really do think that that's part of developmental milestones is cutting out and separating from. No, we should still stay connected and our world should get bigger as we move forward and fold more people in. We'll be talking on a show later in the week about boomerang kids, kids that due to the government failing them and helping them get their needs met had to return home and live with their family. There's no reason to shame that. There's nothing wrong with that. What a beautiful thing to be part of community again or family right? We need others. We have to be willing to normalize that. It's very gendered. It's very racial, but it's important, right? The world around us tells us who and what we are, but bigger than that, no one does anything or achieves anything on their own. Literally, there's a trail of people lifting you up and behind you, but it's okay to be close. It's okay to want fusion. It's okay to want a lot of closeness. It's okay to love intimacy, right? We have to get away from calling some things codependent, which aren't, or needy, because they like a lot of close, closeness. You know, we really, really, really do shame that because we don't understand what intimacy is supposed to look like. We'll talk more about it, but it's just a, an important myth to dispel for the sake of people's mental and physical health because it's all tied. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to do some DMs. If you've got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveland IG page in the DMs. And uh, if you want to check out past episodes, Go to wearechannelq.com, scroll on down, click on my face, and there they are. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, I hope you can help me. I'm having constant arguments with my boyfriend about topics like feminism, rape culture, et cetera, et cetera. He says we are equal. He says women should dress a certain way to not get raped. He says women don't earn as much as men because they are doing lighter jobs than men. Et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Oh, I bet it does. Because anyone who thinks the way, you know, those two thoughts indicate uh, there's more. Um, He can't stand the Me Too movement and is listening to misogynistic podcasts on YouTube 24-7. 
I don't know how to show him what women go through and what's really going on. He just won't see it. And I don't know which resources to show him to understand better. Do you think there's anything I can do? Or should I just stop responding or talking with him about these topics? It's frustrating. There's a lot in here. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. Because I want to both help you and I also want to educate our listeners. Uh, first off, he sounds like he just lacks compassion. Anyone, you know, when I hear things like someone doesn't support the Me Too movement, wait a minute. You don't support victims of sexual assault coming forward and trying to um, get accountability and, and, and healing? Like, I don't even understand that thought process. Does your partner not believe that sexual assault exists? Like, what? What? Um, so he lacks care. He lacks empathy. He lacks compassion. And these YouTube things he's listening to clearly aren't helping. Feminism is about undoing gender trauma and damage for everyone. It's not just female centered. It's also undoing, you know, the 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 the, the um, uh, wounds that patriarchy and and toxic masculinity force on men as well. Like that's in feminism. It's about not having a vertical power structure anymore. It's about balancing that out. Everyone feeling empowered, mutuality. So he doesn't really understand what it is. So my thought is I wouldn't use. I wouldn't use triggering words like feminism. I think some people get triggered by that word. I think you just need to talk about empathy, fairness, uh, safety. You know, that if there's an environment where the length of someone's skirt sets them up for danger or not, that's a really unsafe environment. And we have to look at who is in that environment that's making it that way, right? Um, <clears throat> but again, the bigger issue is this is someone who doesn't have a lot of empathy and is very narcissistic and maybe even sociopathic. So I have wider concerns. Um, I'm not so hung up on his frustrations with feminism. I'm frustrated with the fact that he thinks it's okay for people to have violence enacted on them based on what they wear. Um, he doesn't understand or value that people have a right to get paid for their labor, regardless of their gender right? Or even regardless of how hard they're working, everyone has a right to healthcare and housing, even if they are doing a lighter job, right? Um, so I'm worried about your mental health because you're in a relationship with this person. And I'm worried about the impact he's going to have on others. There's an extent to which we should be open to helping educate the people that are in our lives. But there's a line because you're not responsible for his ethics. You're not responsible for what he does out in the world. So I'm worried. Um, this is someone who has a lot of work to do, and I don't know that you can just direct him to a website. Again, I think he's going to invalidate it because he's going to think it's feminist and, and just immediately not have an interest in that. It's kind of like odd example, but when people won't eat something because it's vegan, it's like, wait a minute, what? Even if you're a meat eater, just because something is dark chocolate and happens to have no dairy, you're just offended by the idea of it then being vegan. Like a lot of people apply that to feminism. It has good values and it's rooted in great ethics, but if you apply that word, they're inherently turned off by it. It's like, dude, drop into what we're talking about. We're talking about ending violence. We're talking about equality. We're talking about everyone having their needs met. Like who would be offended by that? It's like the people that are anti-trans rights. They're human beings we're talking about. Who would be opposed to a human being having their needs met? That's gross. So I think you need to leave the relationship. It sounds like you've done all you can do. And this person's battling the worth of individuals. Anyone who thinks the worth of individuals is a debate to be had is someone who has more work to do and isn't ready to be in a relationship. So my advice is you get out. You get out now. You've done all you can do. It's not your job to educate him further. He's educating himself actually away from by watching these YouTube things. He doesn't want to have, he, he wants to be sexist, you know? And so go find better. All right, y'all, that is our show. 
Oh, stick around. Come back tomorrow. We're going to be talking about micro cheating. We're going to be talking about toxicity. We're going to talk about how to be a better listener. Uh, question of the night, as always, is up on our Love Line IG page in the stories. And if you want to check out past episodes of Love Line, you can always do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll on down, look for my face in the name of Love Line, click on it, and they're all there. Please spend the rest of your night focused in self care, joy, pleasure, tons of rest, and. Um, Let's keep battling the patriarchy together, y'all. That's right. So we don't have to get DMs like that anymore. Thanks for hanging out, y'all. And enjoy the rest of your night.